Welcome everyone. The final episode of our mini-series Stories of Migration will focus on the work of Naoyosimi Moira, a cross-national collective consisting of Noemi, Amir, Kutaba, Ali and Mustafa. Together with Noemi, an Amsterdam-based photo editor, Klarche van Dijk, head of exhibitions at FOAM, will speak about the scope and impact of the collective and its campaigns. In August 2020, Amir, a refugee stuck in Moira, and Noemi decided to publish pictures of life at the camp on Instagram. Since then, Now You See Me Moira got the attention of various media outlets, individuals and organizations across Europe. Today, the account has a following of more than 30,000 people. But that's not all. A growing number of followers have started collaborations with the initiative. And from a small collective, Now You See Me Moira has become a civil rights movement, demanding fundamental change to European migration policy. Dear Noemi and Klarche, please welcome. The floor is yours. Thank you, Elisa. And hello to everyone. Hi, Noemi. Welcome. We're here, as uh, Elisa already said, to talk a little bit about Now You See Me Moria. Uh, Foam currently has quite a presentation on. And maybe it's good. Elisa gave a general outline of what Now You See Me Moria is. Maybe we can speak a little bit about how the collective, as we can definitely call it, started also from your personal voice like how it kicked off well first i would like to thank elisa for the invitation and the introduction and also to you clergy it's always a pleasure to to talk with you well i mean the the project it didn't start as a collective it was at the start it, it was not so altruistic or it was not so activist the bread the bread starts just as a uh yeah i was going through a, a very complicated personal moment of uh, grieving and, and, and personal loss. So that's how it started. Uh, one night that I couldn't sleep, I saw one photo from, from Amir. Uh, yeah, that got really into me, you know, I, I couldn't stop looking to that photo. It was a, a very special photo of a group of uh, children eating watermelon uh, on the beach, like having fun. But those children were uh, in the refugee camp in Moria. And then, uh, yeah, Amir was sharing that photo, trying to explain to the people, look, this is, uh, we are here, I'm teaching them English, we are in a very bad situation, and yeah, let, help, help us, you know? And then I, I just realized that he was sharing that photo in, in his Facebook, and only like 20 or 25 persons of, of, of his Facebook will, will see that, that, that image. Um, so then I decided to contact him and to explain him that I have knowledge about photography and my personal connection with uh, Afghan culture, uh, because uh, uh, yeah, well, the father of my son is an Afghan refugee himself, uh, so I'm especially connected to Afghan culture. And I explained him my personal story and I told him I can help you to bring those photos outside of, of your little bubble so that uh, everyone can see what's, what's really happening. So that was really the starting point. You say that his uh, followers, that there were about 20 or 25. And if we now, what Elisa also just said, the, the number of followers for Now You See Me Moria Instagram is 30,000. And having seen what Now You See Me Moria is over the past few months that we worked together, I think you can really speak of a movement. It's really like a change that is happening. And there's so many in preparation also of this podcast, we talked about so many important elements that are related to just Now You See Me Moria in relation to photography. And I think maybe it's interesting to start with what we were talking about, the importance of that Kwatiba, Mustafa, Amir all take their own photographs and share that on the Instagram account. How do you see that, that influence or how, how do you think that's important in the narrative, in telling the story? Well, I think it's it's uh, it's very important. I mean, that's why the the photo of Amir took my attention because his photo was breaking many stereotypes that we have in our minds about uh, how a refugee should look like, what is a refugee, or what we think it's migration. You know, because precisely it was like private photos of his life uh, where they were having uh, some fun, even though they are in a completely uh, 
miserable situation. And uh, yeah, those private photos show some hope, no? So it gives them agency that they are humans who can experience also happiness moments and who can uh, smile and who can have friends. And then that makes you that you see them as a humans and not as a refugees. That's that's one of the main problems with uh, the presentation that the uh, representation that we have about refugees, especially through through media, that they are always portrayed only as refugees, as if being a refugee is some kind of you are a refugee and you are nothing else. You are not a human. It's like you should be someone who is always suffering with pain or very poor or not well-dressed, you know, uh, to be uh, a refugee. And this is like a visual construction that it's done with images. And we have like a visual memory of how a refugee should look like. And it's it's due through all the images that we are consuming uh, from the media, but of course also uh, from uh, uh, exhibitions, no, from documentary uh, photographers uh, or even artists who are creating uh, projects also related to, to this topic. All of them are contributing to to the visual imaginary that we have about uh, a refugee. And that they have the agency to uh, be themselves the one taking images, it can break a lot those uh, stereotypes. Uh, for me, it's not only sometimes about, we always said about making visible their situation and explain that's wh what's happening. and. I think that's very important, but uh, I also realize that it's also very important to not be uh, misrepresented. For me, it's as bad it's to be invisible as if you are represented in a wrong way. Uh, yeah, because otherwise we keep creating or reinforcing negative stereotypes about refugees. That's why it's so important that they have the, the power to, to take their own images. So in a way, it's, there is this existing sort of stereotype of the refugee, which is in a way stressed, right, by perhaps external photojournalists, documentary photographers who visit, who have ideas about composition and aesthetics, and then create a photograph that a media outlet will definitely use and in a way that will give it attention, but it, then it's, it, well, it's exactly what you say. It's like, now there's this situation where there's basically also a, a misrepresentation or there is a certain idea about what a refugee is. And the importance, that's why I really think it's a movement that is having so many followers where the people have their own voice. And also related to that is the voice right from the inside rather than from the outside. Yeah, it's it's not only so much that it's only from inside, it's it's also that uh, how the images of refugees are, are produced because even they can be done from outside, uh, but if there is a, a well-think process of how you're going to represent them, maybe it's not so problematic. You know, the problem is that if we keep producing images where refugees are seen as something to fear or like like a threat, like media usually is always portraying them uh, arriving most of the times in two kind of images. One is the arrival of boats with the orange bears as a group, not individualized as a person with uh, dreams or hopes or like, an, like one individual being. Then it's very difficult for the audience to connect with with those persons. And the other is the, the the other way that they always try to do is this victimization. They always portray a mother crying with her baby or a father crying with their little child. And then they always give this feeling of pity. And then uh, what happens many times is that people, of course they feel the pity, but because of uh, our conception of so many images of victims and victims and pain, uh, yeah, at some point it's like, we cannot take more pain, you know, and it's like you see it, but yeah, it doesn't go really inside you and you continue your life and nothing has happened even after you saw those images uh, of victims. That's why 
it's so important to find ways uh, yeah because i don't want that it's only now like from now no only if you if you are leaving the situation you are the only one allowed to explain the story i don't want to be so radical uh, but i think it's important to anyone who is going to work in the topic of migration or refugee before creating anything to really make a really really uh, yeah to take time to think what he's going to create it's it's going to um, uh, increase a negative stereotype or it's going to it's, it's really going to change something because i don't know i start uh, that's just my personal opinion just uh, maybe because i feel so much their pain if it's really worthwhile to keep creating projects and projects about refugees if it's not going to change anything if, if we are just going to go to see the photos in the magazines or newspapers or the exhibition and nothing is going to keep changing for them i wonder how yeah ethically or moral it's we keep doing that you know i'm questioning myself if it's good we keep doing that because mm -hmm. uh, yeah they suffer so much that i think maybe it's not enough anymore to say yeah i'm just doing this because i want to show what's happening to them i want people to see it i think if you don't if you cannot provide some kind of even if it's a small action next to c i wonder if it's necessary to keep creating so it's a responsibility of the photographers but there's also a responsibility of the uh, viewer right or of the spectator someone who looks at how do you think that can be created how do you think an awareness of the spectator who thinks that really makes you change other than oh this is horrible i'm so shocked what empathy is needed for someone to really make a change or really want to help make a change i mean there are amazing and wonderful projects about uh, refugees and migration that they are done with the best of the intentions and with lot of care and love and they're extremely aesthetic and, and, and beautiful but yeah most of the times that happens that people just will see the work uh, maybe think a little bit but there will not be change because yeah they will have like a well psychologists they always say there is like three kinds of empathy one is the uh, cognitive empathy so you need to understand like the situation you know uh, then you have the emotional empathy that it's maybe some kind of similar experience that you have feel and then you can relate with those feelings. Maybe if you were heartbroken, you can understand it now when someone is feeling heartbroken. And then you have the compassionate empathy that it's the one that you have the understanding, you have the feelings, but it's the one that it really kicks you inside and doesn't allow you to just do nothing. You know, it's the one that makes you like, okay, I have to do something. And that's the kind of empathy we are trying to build with the Bread Now You See Memoria. I'm not saying that we are successful in, in doing it, but it's it's our goal. It's what we really try is that people, they don't only look to the images uh, or, or, yeah, that's, that's how the idea of the posters came uh, a little bit. It was uh, when we started the Bread, there was like many people were like, we don't like uh, how Europe is treating uh, the people inside of the camp. We dislike the situation, but yeah, I'm sorry, I cannot do anything. There was really this mood of, uh, yeah, I cannot do anything. And first we tried with the bread to tell to the people, you are the system. And because you are the system, you are the only one who can change the system. You have more power than, than what you think. So we tried to tell them, uh, yeah, you can do something. And then it's a, after six months of starting the project is when in January we saw that people were uh, contacting, that they were making uh, demonstrations. Uh, and that's how the idea of the, uh, yeah, how we can engage more people, no? And then, uh, yeah, inspiring a project from a German photographer who made uh, use of posters, no? For her project in South Africa in a completely different topic, but yeah, the idea of this use of public space and the, the posters in uh, with their photos, yeah, it was really stuck on my mind. And, and I thought that can be a way where we can, yeah, try to engage people into do something, not only to feel like 
I'm just an, a spectator, you know, a passive spectator doing nothing. And, and then, uh, yeah, it's when we make this crazy call for graphic designers and, uh, yeah, that we didn't expect uh, that beautiful reply, you know. Yeah, yeah so also for the audience, maybe it's good to say that Now You See Me Moria started as an Instagram account, which currently has over 30,000 followers. And through the Instagram account, you connected to get more attention for the changes within European immigration law that need to be changed. And currently, or I should say one of the calls, the open calls that you did was where you basically asked all graphic designers to design and create a poster. And that's what you were just referring to. Maybe you can tell a little bit about how that went and um, yeah, and also the response, because it's such an essential part also now of a lot of the venues where Now You See Memoria is shown. Yeah, well, the, uh, that was it. Uh, we wanted that the, the spectator acts, you know, and then for that you need to have this compassionate empathy. We try to create a compassionate empathy by uh, showing them the daily life where you can connect with, with the images of cooking, of uh, playing with animals, you know, with a kind of images that they will not be used to see. So people can start feeling like, yeah, they are like me, you know, they, they cook, they play with animals, they, they want that the children go to, to a school so we were already in January in the point where people were feeling already empathy and like they were they wanted to do something. And then with this crazy idea of, of, of creating the, the posters, uh, I think that's why we really engaged people in, in, in wanting to, to create the poster. Yeah, and then we make the call and, and then, yeah, suddenly we have more than 500 graphic designers across uh, not only Europe, even uh, from Sudan, even from China, who wanted to create a poster because they don't agree with uh, with how Europe it's uh, it's uh, it's treating everyone in, in those refugee camps, and then yeah, we were super lucky that between all the graphic designers we met, uh, Raúl Gottsling, uh, German graphic designer who is living in New York, and he helped us with the website and all the yeah all the working part with the with the graphic designers. Yeah, and in less than four weeks. We created the website. All the posters were created using the the photos from from the people inside of the camp because we wanted that the raw material, no, that the photos that are done by them uh, was the mm, the most visible part. We didn't want to suddenly create a very I don't know that the graphic designer goes in front of the poster. You know that the design is so amazing that people stay just in. Wow, what a poster, what a beautiful poster. Yes, and not what's really happening. So we try to find a balance where, uh, yeah, where the poster, it's aesthetic and powerful and beautiful, but that the story, what's happening is what's, what's important. So we gave them the, the, the concept that not to try to manipulate the image as much as possible. And then, uh, yeah, we told them you can use parts of the of the letter that the Greek government gave to them after the in September there was a fire that destroyed Moria and then ended with 20,000 20, persons living uh, yeah homeless suddenly in, in, in one night and the Greek government gave them a letter to threatening them that if you don't go to the to a second camp we will not check your asylum procedure and don't worry come here you will be safe And obviously it was not true. Uh, they were not, they didn't uh, comply with the things they were offering. So yeah, some of the graphic designers were taking parts of this letter of uh, kindly proceed to your temporal accommodation. Your temporal accommodation is ready. Do not hear, do not listen to fake news. So this is something you can read in, in the posters and all this is coming from this, uh, from this letter. Yeah, and then we, <clears throat> Yeah, because we really want to have this impact of many people looking. We wanted to hang the posters all one day and it was decided to do it uh, on St. Valentine's. Yeah, thanks to a talk with uh, Ayamusa, 
discussing about when to do it or not. And uh, yeah, the first idea was to do it uh, 21st of June. I don't, sorry, 20th of June, the Refugees Day. But yeah, it was too late, you know. I told him we cannot have people waiting six months that we take action. It's not, yeah, somehow when you take action, there is not so much time for planning or at least we didn't have that time. And I thought we need to do it sooner. And then, yeah, talking that the project started as a grieving love of losing the love of your life. Why not to do it on St. Valentine's and change that idea of romantic love to a, an act of love for uh, humanity. So that was how more or less the, the poster campaign ended. Uh, and it's because, I mean, those who were creating the posters, they were they were feeling compassionate, empathy. Otherwise, they will not have act. They will just mm -hmm. have look. And, and uh, that's what we try by people doing something and creating something. Uh, maybe with their, yeah, I don't know. Maybe one, it's a graphic designer. It was this time a call for graphic designers, but we have plans to do other calls, you know, for other uh, uh, collectives to, to try to bring as many people as many persons into our collective and, and together to, to really change this situation. And you're really reaching out to the, maybe you can already say, now you see Memoria community, right? Because I've also seen posts where you reach out to lawyers uh, or people who have uh, apartments that are available in Greece. So you're really also creating a situation where people there's an opportunity also for people to be actively involved rather than passively looking at the photographs. Uh, and what I also think is interesting or, and, and important, well, what, what, you, what you explained before, and also I guess it's part of what we started off by talking about, the photographs of daily life, the photographs where people eat, uh, children play, where at the same time you also, on the Instagram account, you give information as to you see children playing, but there's no school. But also seeing photographs sort of relatable to people who see the photograph. Um, I thought one of the nice things also, like the photographs of food and how we discussed like how delicious it looks and, and uh, you know, the idea of like recipe sharing, just very sort of, yeah daily activities um, where you connect on a very human level um, and people can relate to it. It's as a matter of fact, and we talked about this, there's this idea of the refugee, but it's actually you and I. It's, it's not that far away. And people see, I think a lot of people fear when you say, you know, it's not far away, whereas you have to have compassion to support one another and you all live in the same world. Yeah, no, I, mean, I mean, the problem is that um, a lot of uh, photography has created distance, you know, like uh, the refugee is a refugee and, and it's not a human being. A lot of times, many of, many photography has been dehumanizing them. And yeah, that has an impact, you know, because then many citizens, they will just fear them or they will not like them or they will have some kind of negative uh, image about them, you know, always like calling them invasion or float, you know, even the language use, it's always very negative. And then instead with this kind of uh, images or that may be seem like boring, you know, sometimes uh, when they are just playing cards or playing chess or, or cooking, but it's a kind of image that you can relate to, you know, when you start like, and it's, I think it's also very important, the repetition, you know, that it's like, it's every day. I mean, that's a, because we share it every day, every day, every day. And then you start seeing that they are cooking every day. They are waiting, they are playing chess. The children don't have access to a school and another day and another day, another day. Then I think as more as you look to them, you start thinking, I mean, where is the threat? Where is the fear? What, what I'm, why need fences, why we need walls, I mean, what we need to be protected from. Because you see, it's just people just trying to, uh, yeah, wait and, and, and cook and, and, and they just want their children to go to education until they manage to, to be in the country they, they want. So there is nothing 
dangerous in them, you know, and then people start somehow recognizing themselves, you know. I mean, uh, yeah, there was a teacher in Barcelona that he was telling me, the more I see the photos, the more I think, oh, they are like me, because we don't focus in the differences, we focus in the things we have in common, you know, and that's uh, something we really try to do um, deliberately now. I mean, maybe at the start it was not so conscious, but slowly with the bread we realized people, yeah, we're liking uh, when we're sharing the, the, the photos of food, you know, those beautiful and, and, and yeah, because it's beautiful moments, you know, some of the dishes are super uh, delicious or they look uh, amazing. And uh, yeah, this starts to change a little bit something in your way of perceiving how a refugee is or what you expect from them. And this, uh, we hope that this like shakes something inside people, like suddenly they will see something that they didn't expect because it's not what they are used to see. And then that makes them uh, yeah, change and really uh, think, okay, maybe I can do something. Maybe I can, uh, yeah, maybe this discourse of fear, it's not true and I, I can, uh, yeah, that's not true. You know, and I'm going to start telling to my politicians, this is not true. I mean, why we need protection, these people are the ones who need to be protected because they are suffering. You know, so I think uh, those images have that power uh, and maybe precisely because they don't have any intention of being anything else than, yeah, explaining their their daily life. Uh, maybe that's what is their strength, you know, it's not intention of anything else. Yeah, they don't want to be any of them. They want to be really a professional photographer or they didn't want exhibitions or they didn't want a book or they didn't want uh, to be a famous photographer or winning a World Press photo. I mean, they just wanted to share what's happening and uh, and that's it. Yeah, and also by showing this, sometimes like this, uh, yeah, like, in daily or boring moments, it also gives them this, um, you know, like the social conventions of that they have friends, that they cook, that they 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 love the animals, you know, that they, it makes them humans, you know, and it, it, it breaks this uh, dehumanizing discourse that we have seen many times in media, you know, because, uh, yeah, you see them like you, they have relations, they have friends, they take care of each other. You see many photos of people taking their hands or some kind of love between them. And then you, you see it's people who deserve a life and who deserve love. And I was also curious, it hasn't even been a year. Now, if you see a change in the commitment, do you see a change in the commitment of the followers on Instagram? Uh, for example, in their comments, like, do you see a change in the comments where you see more of a commitment or, yeah, or any other change? Well, I mean, more, more than in the comments, I mean, we see the change uh, of so many people engaging and, and, and taking action uh, with the posters or now then we created uh, after, after St. Valentine, then suddenly we have uh, institutions and museums who contact us that they wanted to have exhibitions to show the photos and, and the posters. And then somehow that's how we came with the idea with uh, with Bas Frug from Paradox and also with the designer Raul Kotzling to create the, the action book. So to have, yeah, not only, we didn't want that only the museums have the power, you know, at the end uh, to show the bread. We wanted that anyone, any individual can create their own exhibition. I think that's very important in the parade, you know, this thing of uh, giving everyone the same possibilities, you know, that uh, of course an, a museum will have more budget to create something bigger, but for us, it's as important an exhibition in, in form, in this case, it's uh, than an, an exhibition in a little village, you know, uh, and, and then that's why the action book gives the people that possibility. Uh, the action book has all the posters, uh, 15 photos, and all the elements anyone needs to create an exhibition anywhere. It can be in a gym, in an office. So we really call to people to use their creativity to design their own exhibition and 
add new elements, uh, you know. And I think here it's also what we see change is institutions really making something that they have never done historically because never before from Stedelijk Museum from Amsterdam and Netherlands Photo Museum from Rotterdam have decided to show the same project in almost the same period of time. Even though the concept of the exhibitions is different, again, it's the same project. There is not this, uh, oh, I'm the one with this project or this artist. There is not this uh, competition, you know, that many times there is. And I think that's something very beautiful and that I think it should make more museums, not only with our project, but I think with other projects to maybe start thinking, you know, how we have been doing things until now, these elitists uh, of being inside of a museum, you know, at the end, who is having the power to decide who is inside or, or, outside, or yeah. outside of a museum. Luckily now it's changing a lot, you know, but still I think there is many changes to to be done. And one can be this, this always this competition, uh, why, why, you know, and uh, at the end it's, interest of money most of the times and, and egos behind behind that, you know, and this is something we fight a lot with the prey that ego should be almost as, as uh, yeah, as uh, as gone as possible. And that really the what matters is the, the story that uh, that is happening to them. I think, uh, no, I agree. I think um, what is very important, which is exactly what you're uh, pointing at, is that the collaboration between Stedelijk Museum, Nederlands Foto Museum and FOAM really sort of goes beyond their own sort of importance, right? The whole idea here is that um, you step aside and you create a platform for something that has a higher cause, which is um, changing the status of, of the refugee status, really. Um, and um, no, and I agree. And I also think, yeah, I think it's a sign of this time as well. I think um, sort of the traditional museum of higher education or higher higher knowledge right if you think about the metropolitan in new york where it has like this these steps going all the way up uh, to like higher grounds and even actually uh Stedelijk museum had an instagram post about the old stairs that they have which was also like really descending the stairs to sort of uh, yeah, learning more and a higher, like sort of like, you know, going there as a visitor and sort of becoming uh, enlightened really with knowledge. Whereas that is not really possible in this time anymore. It's, um, it's important as an institution to voice your audience um, and to voice um, um, what's also happening in society. And if you can take part in giving a platform to underrepresented uh, and unheard voices, um, you're stronger when you do that with more institutions. So I think it's an important and interesting development. Yeah, and I think also it's it's very, I mean, that's what I, I, I wish is that really institutions and museums start realizing that they have a lot of power to really engage social change, you know, because they have access to, yeah, they can, yeah, they are the ones who decide what you see or you don't see in a museum and, and by your decisions, you can really change a society for, for good, you know, like like with uh, with our project and other projects that there are over there that they, they are doing the same. So I think museums, they really need also to start taking action, you know, and I mean, already, uh, yeah, we are happy that some museums, they did it, but I think museums should start taking more action and really engaging into uh, society change for, for, for good, not only with refugees, I mean, with many other things that uh, gender, uh, you know, with uh, uh, climate change uh, and start realizing that, yeah, they are a very powerful structure where they can really 
change society. And I think they should start doing it more. Yeah, and have this awareness. Well, and, and also, um, then I'm thinking also of the action book that you were just talking about, which is, it's a magnificent publication. I mean, publication, I feel, doesn't even cover it because it really is a tool of what you're working on and of enforcing the change that you want to create. Um, so also just for information that you have, the action book consists basically right of two parts. You have the bound volume, and then you have the unbound volume, which basically consists of two volumes. Um, and the unbound volume, as you referred to before, consists holds all the posters in order for whoever would like to buy the unbound volume can have a presentation of Now You See Me Moria and of the situation in Moria um, and, and give it a voice. Yeah. Um, and so currently throughout Europe, how many venues are now showing or giving attention to? I mean, right now that it's uh, going on, it's there is an exhibition in a belt museum in Vienna. Then in the Netherlands, yeah, there is the exhibition in FOAM, the exhibition in Netherlands Photo Museum in Rotterdam, also then in a photo festival in Arden. Then also there is the exhibition in Spain. We have an exhibition in Madrid, in La Casa Encendida. And yeah, and, and this weekend we are going to have an exhibition in uh, Art Santa Monica. And in September we will have in Getcho Photo and in September and October in uh, in uh, Spy Photographic Canvas Day. Yeah, I, I don't know, uh, also in Belgium, in we are in right now in Amberes, in FOMU, in Brussels, in Siba, uh, and we will be in uh, Liege, in Ligeru in 2022. Yeah, they didn't have the space. That's, that's also something I, I think, uh, yeah, I think it also questioned myself a, a lot. I was like shocked, you know, when it seems they were there. No, I mean, we have an agenda of two years. And that made me think a lot. I mean, uh, what, how much institutions are missing for not having a space? Uh, if you don't have a space for two years, how much things are going to change? You know, you are missing so many cultural changes that are happening maybe so fast that you are missing because you just don't have a space because you have this agenda of rooms of two years. So I think there is so much in the institutions to reconsider. Uh, uh, yeah, because this is so two years, you have to wait two years to have a space in a exhibition, maybe, yeah, something is so urgent and, and there is no room, you know. And, uh, Whereas in two years, the goal, I mean, before that, but, you know, let's let's hope that by in two years that there's no Moria. Yeah, well, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's going to be not maybe the camp where they are right now, probably it will be changed, but but the plans that they have are, uh, yeah, are even worse, you know, because right now the plan that they have is to, yeah, the European Union uh, sent 250 million euros to, to Greece to construct, uh, yeah, five prisons because it's closed centers where NGOs will not be allowed to be inside, uh, yeah, where they will have these big three meters walls that doesn't allow you to see even nature outside and. Yeah, like some kind of prison, you know, when we are speaking about women, children inside, you know, and yeah, to go out, you will have like this kind of uh, permit and a specific hour. Also, the construction is going to be done in the middle of nowhere, like that you don't have anything around so that they don't disturb society, you know, and uh, yeah, and that's that's terrible. And we are going to try to stop it. With the with the bread and and all, all, many many other organizations who are going to try to stop it as well, um, but it's not easy. It's something that uh, yeah I don't know how fast it will go, but I think it's also important people start realizing that uh, yeah when we speak about refugees we always think about refugees of violence of war, but right now um, people can start realizing in Germany and also here in the south of of the Netherlands and Belgium climate change, you know, and many people, I mean, many, many 
people, maybe that they don't even imagine they are going to become a refugee, can end being a refugee. Maybe their children or maybe their grandchildren. You know, and if we start creating a, a society where we take care of the refugee as a human being, maybe we are not only protecting all those people who are now in the refugee camps in Greece, but maybe we are also protecting our own future generations because we will have created a society where, yeah, where if they need to flee, you know, they will arrive to a country where they are going to protect them and help them and they are not going to be treated like Amir, Ali, Kwatiba, Mustafa, Masuma, you know, Mahdi, you know, and yeah, all the cultural institutions, all the photographers, photo editors, uh, citizens have the responsibility to create that society, to protect human beings, because probably in the future it will be also our own family. So why not to be smart and to already try to build a system where, uh, yeah, where we are going to be protecting the persons when they are in need. Right. It is creating an awareness of the whole concept of a refugee is really not that far away. And that awareness, the fact that it couldn't be you, or, or even if we look not that long back, right, to European history and how much migration that cost overseas. There was an article at some point where the photograph of this Honduran toddler crying while her mother was being detained or was being searched. And a 90-year-old man who had survived the Holocaust said, I recognize this photograph. I mean, it's there's one point here to talk about the photograph, but but just about the fact that, and then we're speaking about a few decades back, war doesn't stop, but rather other situations occur where currently there's exactly their global climate change. So it's not just the need to sort of deal with a temporary search of people who move from one continent to the next. But exactly what you say, it's about learning from the past to live together for the future. Yeah, and photography, it's, 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 a, it's a very powerful way to do it. You know, I mean, to use photography to, to do it, it's, it's possible, you know, and to try to use photography to create projects that is going to engage citizens and mobilize them uh, also with climate change and with uh, the human rights for refugees. And, and yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah, that's the, the power of photography that I think uh, we should keep doing it. Yeah. I was also thinking, yeah, as talking about the past and photographs or, or photography and the visualization of refugees, migration, more thinking out loud, asking a question, has that changed? Has, has there been a development? Um, you mentioned also in one of our conversations, um, well, sorry, also the question of have there been in the past uh, people who photographed their own situation as a migrant? Um, because obviously in the past, not everybody had a camera, obviously not, no phones. <laughs> yeah, and just thinking about how that changed. But I remember you spoke about an interesting um, photographs that you came across yeah, yeah, this was reading an article. Yeah, I came across, uh, yeah, it was, um, it's called the Walnut Collection, and it's a, a group of images that they that they were done uh, of a, a group of uh, Estonians who had to flee uh, Sweden, no? It was like a second time they had to flee. And then there was, uh, yeah, one of the persons had a camera, you know, and like, uh, and then he took photos of the of their trip on the on the boat, you know? And then, yeah, the the person who wrote this article, she was explaining that every time she's showing the those photos in a presentation, she had to explain a lot to the people, like, yeah, they are real refugees, they were suffering, and and how hard it was for them, you know, uh, to have to leave and uh, because they had to, to to flee towards uh, Canada, no? And uh, yeah, she she had to dramatize a lot the, the story because the the photos. 
uh, yeah, it was again private photos, and and they show them uh, the men were shaved and the women were uh, well dressed and they were eating and they were also like uh, yeah um, smiling to the camera, no? And and some of the photos they were reminded to like holidays photos, you know, like uh, someone who will be in a boat on on holidays, and uh, yeah, she said. Yeah, how difficult it was even to people of her field, you know, of visual culture to to really convince them that it's people who were suffering because, yeah, they had also this expectation that they should be suffering the whole time, you know, and I think uh, that's why it's so important to, to yeah, not only press, like, now you see Memoria, no, like, oh, like this example of, of people showing just their, when they are the ones taking the photos, when they are smiling, you know, when they are, uh, yeah, this brings hope, you know, this brings that they are human, they have feelings, they, yeah, it's, yeah, they are not the whole day suffering. I mean, it's like, yes, because you're a refugee, you should be the whole day suffering. And, and it's like, then don't allow them to be anything else, you know, then there is, yeah, then they are just refugees and doesn't allow them to be humans anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's why, uh, yeah, that's an, that's an example. And yeah, another example of this, speaking about holidays, it, yeah, we had a, a German magazine who contacted uh, us that they wanted to show some photos of a woman from, from inside the camp and then uh, yeah, explained to Amir and she contacted some woman and, and the woman themselves, they took the photo and then we, we sent to the editor of this magazine yeah, and then when she got the photos, she she said, "Oh, but these uh, yeah, these photos look very nice. They they looked like uh, yeah, this is holiday photos, and yeah, because the photos are portraits and they are taken in front of the sea, and of course it's the beautiful uh, Greek landscapes, blue sky, blue water, and uh, yeah, so she was really hoping to have this painful uh, woman." Uh, maybe not well-dressed or like looking poor and, 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 and dirty, you know? And yeah, she was like shocked, like, you know, this is not what we were expecting. This is not what we need, you know? And they then they are not suffering. And I said, well, but this is how they want to be represent. This woman, they are going to be in a magazine in Germany. And that's why, that's how people want to see them. They want to see them looking good and looking, yeah, a human, not a, a, a someone who is, should be always suffering, you know, and uh, yeah, this was, uh, at the end they, they they accepted and they published those uh, those portraits, you know, but uh, they were asking, okay, but then show us the inside of the tents, you know, show us the, like there was a need to show the, yeah, how, how much is the struggle, you know, and uh, otherwise they will not believe it, that they are real refugees if they are not struggling. Yeah, they are not in pain, yes. And then, yeah, we show them, we make the photos also of the inside. And it's, we have these three portraits uh, in the exhibition in, in form. And I think also it was not what they were expecting because of course it's the inside of a tent, but they have it very, very tidy, very well organized with the, how they have their shoes. And I think that's much stronger, you know, because it shows their resilience, you know, it shows uh, even being in a difficult situation, how they try to have this homey feeling inside those tents, you know, and it shows their resistance, you know, and uh, yeah, I think that's very powerful more than if you just show the pity and uh, that's something that I think it comes more from uh, photographers from outside, you know, that probably they are feeling this pity, you know, for, for them, and but somehow they are uh, not empower them you know, they are just making them more powerless and victimizing them more, and it's not helping them so much at the end. Right. right. Um, yes, I agree. Um, no, and I actually thought that that showing what you say, like seeing the inside of the tent, really sort of how they're trying to maintain some kind of control in the chaos of the situation that they've been put in, the house, keeping the house neat, creating a home uh, of what they have, 
And that I also think is important to have because in the exhibition also they tell the story, right? So they tell their own story and they take their own photographs as well. Um, so that's, that's also, again, that they are being empowered rather than that the magazine sends over a photographer to take a picture of, uh, of the women. Um, what I was also thinking also in relation to the exhibition is um, because you were talking about, you know, powerful, um, the video of Suhaila and how she speaks. Um, can you speak a little bit about her? Because it's, it's, it's a really a video that is where she speaks from the heart and it's so uh, powerful. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's also the thing, for example, uh, I mean, and this is some of the sometimes like criticism that we have had uh, with the project or like uh, I had like sometimes not two, two persons who tell, who tell us, but where are the women, you know, in the project? And that was something that uh, since the start, I always tried not not that are only men, you know, taking the photos. I, I try to reach as many people inside of the of the camp, but reaching to the woman, it's very complicated. And uh, yeah, even a lot of times I say, Kwatiba, Kwatiba, give, uh, why, why don't you give your phone to, to your wife, no? And that also she takes photos so that maybe she wants to explain other kind of things. And no, she's not so much interested. And But finally we were lucky and we have met a different woman. And, and one is Suhaila. Uh, yeah, and I think what makes super special about Suhaila is that she also breaks a lot the stereotype of uh, of uh, women refugees that, yeah, they are even more invisibilized, they are even more, well, it's like even, uh, yeah, for them it's even harder, you know, because even in, inside of our project, they, they are a little bit hidden, you know, because it's difficult to see them because, uh, yeah, because they were male photographers taking the photos and they will not take photos of, of, uh, of the woman. So at some point it was like, they are not women, there are only children and men, where are the women, you know? And, and it, it was something that I was really super uh, upset about that, you know, because yeah, it happens many times if you are not in an archive, it's like you didn't exist, no? And at the end, we are building an archive of of of, of more, you know, of, of 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 what's happening to them, and somehow if the women are not there, it's like there was no woman, you know, and and we have seen this a lot with uh, with black communities, you know, and, and we have many examples of that. It seems they didn't exist just because they are not in the archive, and yeah, and now I'm happy that we have more women collaborating, and and especially, yeah, Suhaila, they yeah they are from. Afghanistan and they have to move to Pakistan because they are Hazara and yeah, Hazara are being prosecuted and, and killed in, in Afghanistan and they had to flee to Pakistan and yeah, it's very sad because even his father uh, passed away you now when she was 40 years old. His father took a boat, imagine from Pakistan to Australia, you know, how, yeah, how desperate is their situation that they put themselves in, in that situation and yeah, sadly the boat drone and, and he died and yeah 10 years later his mom with her and his two brothers they will move to yeah they will make the trip towards Europe and they were one year in uh, in Moria and then uh, yeah they got the asylum positive yeah but because the Greek government is not supporting them uh, they just put them uh, okay you have your positive asylum and okay now go to the street, but you don't know Greek, they don't help them. So they, yeah, they were like one week living in the park and they had to come back again to live inside of a refugee camp. And she breaks a lot this stereotype of uh, female refugee because she's she's a fighter, she's boxing, she's doing uh, Arshal Mars and uh, yeah, and she wants uh, to empower other women that uh, women can do the same that men, you know, because uh, She's coming from Afghanistan and she will listen a lot what a man should do and what, uh, sorry, what a woman can do or what a, a woman uh, cannot do. Yeah, so she, she wants to empower other women. Uh, and she's just 16, you know, and then she recorded this video because she is living in Malacasa. And she records this video where the European Union replaced a fence 
for a wall. You know, that you start questioning, I mean, how much money it costs to replace a fence for a wall and why you need to replace a fence for a wall. I mean, why? You know, and yeah, because at least through the fence is what she explained, at least through the fence, they were able to see nature, you know, and but this with three meters walls, they, they cannot see, they cannot see anything. Everything gets blocked. So by being herself, uh, telling the her story from inside, I think, uh, yeah, people realize how strong she is and they are not seeing her as a victim. You know, they see her like she's suffering, but she she's a powerful woman who is explaining what's happening. And I think that will help people to start questioning about the actions of uh, the European Union instead of just feeling pity for her and just seeing her as a victim. I think that's uh, at least what we try with the project so that people don't see them as the victims and they are just paralyzed and or oh, just feel pity, but that they are powerful people because they are resisting, you know, what the European Union are doing to them. Uh, that that's terrible, yeah. you know, how they are being treated. And uh, yeah, and, and that we need to be the ones taking the action because uh, from their side, they are already doing what they can, that it's to share their own stories. And now it's our time to take the lead and uh, and help them to change that situation. Yeah. Because we are the only ones who can change it. I mean, they don't have the power to vote. Right. And if you don't have the power to vote, yes. then you cannot change the system. Mm -hmm. So only the ones who have right now the power to vote should pressure the politicians. And yeah, I don't vote you. If you don't change this, I don't vote you. And if hundreds or millions of, of, of thousands of people will do this, believe me, then the politicians, they will change it. <laughs> because they need the votes, you know, yeah. they, they want to win the elections and, and they need the votes, so they, they will change. Our time is also uh, slowly uh, counting down. Yeah. No, I think also speaking about the awareness of the spectator, Love, maybe for you, I mean, of course you say, well, you already said just now, like, you know, we can make a change. But I even as like art lovers and visitors to exhibitions, how do you feel, you know, in a way like, what can we do as spectators um, to make this change? Yeah, I mean, there are several ways. I mean, first, yeah, you go to the exhibition, then I, I will tell you, bring your friends, you know, bring your colleagues, uh, try to bring everyone that you think they don't know about what's happening. Or even the ones who are against, you know, who have fear or yeah, who have, bring them and, and show them what's really happening and then, you're educating them. That's one step they can do. The other is, of course, use the action book and, and create other exhibition to educate other people, uh, hang posters. And then also you can just contact us and, and with new ideas. I mean, we are having now new collaborations. Uh, we are trying now to develop a educational program with uh, Elisaba University from Barcelona. And now also with a sound artist, also we are trying to develop uh, a, a also a part of, of the project. Yeah, so we welcome everyone who can help uh, and join uh, with new ideas. Uh, yeah, everyone is welcome and they just have to use their tools uh, to do a little change of, yeah, what they can do in their own field. Right. It doesn't have to be all related to photography. It can be other fields that they, they allow them to change, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, they should uh, do that. Yeah, yeah. Just a small step. Yeah. yeah, but with all the small steps, a lot can be done. Yes. And especially when you have 30,000 eyes, there a lot can, can change. I want to thank you for all your incredible work. Also, you're the voice of Now You See Me, Moria, and working together with um, everyone in Greece. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you to you. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's been a great pleasure working together. And to all the listeners, go follow Now You See Me Moria, and you will see what you can do also from there and get an insight into what's happening. Yeah, spread the message that it's the immediate evacuation of the camp and, and then to really change the immigration policies. But let's start by bringing everyone outside uh, not only Moria, all the refugee camps that are in Greece, that yeah, they don't respect any of them, they, any human right, 
from the children to the woman to the man, any person who is living there. And, and of course, all the ones who died on the sea that we didn't even have the chance to meet, like the father of Sofaila. Thank you, Clarze, and thank you to Faman. <laughs> thank you, Noemi. Thank you so much, Noemi and Clarce, for such an intense and important conversation. This was the concluding episode of the Stories of Migration mini-series. Deep, deep thanks to all of our guests. Please check out the previous episodes if you haven't listened to them already, and keep an eye on our channels for upcoming episodes. Thanks so much to the team uh, in the backstage, Amelie, Nordin and Andersen Audio, and overall, thank you all for being with us. This is Elisa Med, I'm signing off. Viva! <laughs>